You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, today we take up again, for the third time, the topic of spiritual warfare. Two weeks ago we talked about the spiritual battle in which we are all engaged. We heard of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and how he fought back the devil with the Word of God both as our example and most especially as our champion. Last week we heard about the Canaanite woman whose daughter had a demon, and we considered the demons and their works and how to fight against them by God's word and by repentance and by prayer. This week we will hear about our duty and station in life as regular soldiers in the spiritual battle. And we'll start with the parable that Jesus told in the Gospel, and then this detailed description of what happens to the demons when they are cast out. And then we consider Paul's instruction for spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, if we want a a 10,000-foot sketch of the spiritual battle, there's really kind of three stages to it. They are like this. First, the devil, equipped with fantastic armor and weapons, guards over the unbelievers in his kingdom of darkness. It's kind of scene one. Scene two, Jesus comes, and with his own strength and weapons of his word and his blood, he overthrows the devil and he plunders those who are under his dominion. And then there's stage three. Jesus puts armor on us. And he sets us up as guards on his kingdom, for his kingdom, and in his kingdom. So let's take a look at the text. It's in the bulletin uh, from Luke chapter 11. We'll walk through it. I'll read it to you also. It is really quite a stunning text to consider. Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute, verse 14. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But the reaction of the crowds was kind of varied. Some said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That means the devil himself. Others wanted something greater and they sought a sign from heaven. But verse 17, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? They will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God, that's, a, that's an Old Testament way of speaking of the Holy Spirit, by the way, the finger of God. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus first tears down their godless thoughts of, wanting a greater sign or thinking that he is possessed by the devil, he tears down their thoughts with arguments, showing that this doesn't even make sense what you guys are saying about me. But then, and this is where we want to focus our attention, then Jesus gives to the people a a spiritual insight into how it is in the demonic realm, in the spiritual realm, with this little two-verse parable, starting in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away the armor in which he trusted, and he divides the spoils. Whoever's not with me is against me, 
and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now the parable is this. The strong man who sits there guarding his house, this strong man is the devil himself, Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And he's fully armed. Uh, he's fully equipped. He has armor and weapons. And his armors are, his armor and weapons are the fear of death and guilt and shame and anger and disorder. Remember, Luther's great insight into the spiritual battle is that the devil is a master of disorder. And notice what he's doing. I just want to point out this word to you because it's going to come up again in the text and it's going to be very important. What the devil is doing is guarding. Fulasso is the Greek. He's He's stalking around, making sure that no one has access to his treasures, to the unbelieving world. What are his treasures? The treasure that the devil guards are you and I and all the descendants of Adam who are by nature children of wrath. All people are born into this kingdom of the devil, including you and including me. But that's the good part, because the stronger one in the parable is Jesus who comes upon this house, this treasure being guarded by the devil, and he plunders him. He binds him. And he loots his treasure, and he divides the spoils. That is the church. And all of this happens by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's how the victory happens. Revelation 20 tells us that he, Jesus, is the one who has bound the devil and cast him into the bottomless pit. Revelation 12, he has bound the devil and cast him from the throne room of God. John 1, chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this reason the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And all these other beautiful passages tell us that Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, has destroyed the devil and has looted the kingdom. He has set us free, who are our whole lives subject to the fear of death. That Jesus has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. That he has transferred, remember we had this verse last week, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his Son, so that we belong to him. That's what the parable is about. And that's the good news. But then Jesus adds this particularly strange and detailed appendix to the parable. As far as I can tell, this Luke chapter 11, verses 22 to 20, 24 to 26, and the parallel in Matthew, are the most detailed information that we have about how it is with the demons in all of the Scripture. So here's what Jesus says. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. What does this mean? And for centuries, theologians looking into this have wanted to make an allegory out of it, but it can't be allegory. It's just, Jesus is just telling us what happens when a demon is sent from a person. It goes and it wanders around. And it looks for another place to rest. And when it can't find any place, it goes back and finds the place where it was sent from, swept and put in order. And then it goes and finds, and this is kind of strangely specific, it finds seven other spirits, not six, not eight, seven, 
and they enter in and they dwell there. Now, the, I think the we, I don't know if weird is the right, the, the creepy or the frightful passage, the phrase in this whole text is the words of the demons. Look what it says. It says, I will return to my house. If a demon is calling you my house, that is bad news. <laughs> and while the text is mysterious, I mean, I just think that Jesus knows more about these things. He can see it happening, and he's telling us what he sees. We can't see any of these things happening. So it's a mysterious text to us. But the point of the text is clear. The point is this, that just because the demon is sent away, it doesn't mean that the battle is over. It doesn't mean that the fight is finished. If the house is empty, that is, if a person is void of the Holy Spirit and God's Word then the spiritual war, in fact, is not over, but it gets worse. The spiritual condition of that person is worsened eightfold. If, uh, it is not enough for Jesus to come and destroy the devil that, that now, and this is the point of what we want to get after, that now there is a role for us to play in the spiritual battle to protect the place that has been conquered by Jesus, to stand on the border and to do sentry duty so that the demons don't come back. Now, I think that's why Luke makes sure that we hear the next thing that happens. Verse 27. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Which is kind of an embarrassing thing to say. But the woman says it. She's jealous of Mary. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, uh, there's a better blessing, and it's like this. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, remember I told you that that word guard was going to come up? This is the word guard. It's right here. The word keep is the same word that was used for what the devil was doing when he was guarding his goods. Fulasso. So Jesus says, blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and guard it. So while at the beginning of the text, the devil was on guard looking over us to keep us in his kingdom, now at the end of the text, we are on guard. Protecting God's word. Protecting the promises that he's given to us. And protecting the people that are put around us. This is our spiritual work. We do guard duty. We are spiritual sentries. We are stationed by the Lord on the borders of His kingdom to make sure that the demons cannot get access and come back in. Now, to consider this in its fullness, we want to turn to the text that talks about it mostly, Ephesians chapter 6. This is chapter 6, verse 10, all the way to the end, verse 20. And Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the lists of the ranks of the demons. Verse 13. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. Notice now, that while at the beginning of the parable of Jesus it was the devil who was fully armored, but now you are the ones wearing armor. (laughs) The helmet of righteousness, the breastplate of, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the readiness to spread the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now notice, the first thing that we want to realize about this armor that the Lord has equipped us is that it's not our own works, it's not our own deeds, it's not our own strength, but it is His. It's His salvation that protects our minds. It's His righteousness that protects our heart. It's His belt that holds it all together. It's His gospel that gives us readiness and zeal. And it's His word that we hold. These are our protections, not not in our own. If, If we were to go and fight against the devil with our own resources, we would come to nothing. But the Lord has equipped us with His equipment. And second, notice this, that we are equipped with all of this not so that we would charge into battle, but rather that we would stand. I mean, Paul said it over and over in the text. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You are not set to charge, but to stand, to watch, and to pray. The picture that Paul is giving us is a Roman sentry. The Roman Empire, as it would expand, had borders, and they would try to build walls, and they had a, they had a men who were stationed on the borders all around the, this huge empire. And they could, they could see each other, and they could uh, shout to each other. They were equipped with this equipment, and especially the thing that they had was a trumpet. And apparently, there was two, uh, two um, things that sins or errors that they could make where they would be put to to death, capital crimes, as they were set on sentry duty. And the two things that were punishable by death were, one, falling asleep, and two, going to fight. Because if they do any one of these things, then the link in the chain that protects the entire empire would be broken. So they were to stand on post, they were to watch... And especially, and this is important, we're going to come back to this, at night when they couldn't see, they were to listen. And when they heard anything, they were to blow the trumpet and call for help so that reinforcements would come. They were to stand their post and they were to watch and be alert. And this is how it is for you and for me. 
in our vocation. We stand. We stand our post. And we stay alert in prayer. In fact, I, I think it's incredible that when Paul says, you, you take up the sword of the Spirit, he then tells us how we wield the sword of the Spirit. It's not in preaching, but rather in prayer. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. So the way we use the sword is through prayer, that we have an alertness in prayer. Here, listen to a couple of verses. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, in prayer, with thanksgiving. Or 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, de- to devour. Or Matthew 25, verse 13, the, the words of Jesus. Watch, therefore, for you ne- know neither the day nor the hour. So that our watchfulness, as we stand our post in spiritual warfare, our watchfulness and our alertness is bound up to prayer. Now, to know what to pray for, we have to listen. And there's, and there's two types of listening that we need to train ourselves in and be careful for, to be, to be, uh, I don't know, have sensitive ears so that we have one ear open to this word on one hand and one ear opened on the other side. And the first thing on this side is we want to have our ear attuned to the Scripture. We always want to be listening to the Lord's Word. We want to be studying the Lord's Word, meditating on the Lord's Word. In fact, the devil's work is twofold, and that is to get us to not listen to God's Word and to get us to not pray. So we listen. And on the other hand, we listen to all those things around us. We, we listen to our friends, we listen to our family, we listen to the news, we listen to each other as we meet together in prayer. We listen, and the reason why we listen is so that we know how to pray for them. Now this tuned-in listening is so important because remember, especially for those who are doing sentry at night, they can't see. The only way they know if the enemy is coming is by listening. And this is how it is in spiritual warfare. We're fighting in the dark. The devil loves, loves, loves to fight in the dark. I got an email. I pulled a quote from an email uh, that I got this week because there was a handful of pastors talking about a particularly strange spiritual situation. It, there's some kind of a cult uh, haunting of a particular house, and we were sort of talking about what the best way to deal with it. And a particularly wise old pastor wrote this for instructions. This is really quite insightful. He says, quote, you are right in resisting the lure of spiritual curiosity and the desire for more knowledge and expertise in the realm. That's dangerous for many reasons. Most of all, Satan is the arch deceiver who comes disguised as an angel of light. Since his realm and work is chaotic, you cannot rationalize it or gain a systematic understanding of it. As I see it, whenever we confront the demons, We work as in the dark, with little or no expertise. Our eyes are shut, but our ears are open. And we operate from a position of personal ignorance and total reliance on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So as we are set to stand and fight and do this guard duty against the demons, we are working in the dark, so we are listening. 
And this is why Jesus lets you hear things. In fact, this is why Jesus lets you hear bad news. I don't know if you've wondered about this. I mean, why does Jesus let you know all of these terrible things that are going on in the world? In In the news and all this sort of stuff? It's not so that you would worry about it. You know it's not so that you would worry about it. Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Why then does he tell you the bad news? So that you would pray. Why do you know bad things about other people? Why does Jesus let you know the sins that your neighbor commits or that your family commits or the trouble that you have? Why does he let you know those things? It's not so that you can worry about it. It's certainly not so that you can gossip about it. But it's so that you can pray. So we listen to God's Word and we listen to the trouble around us and we pray. And our prayers are calling in help. Blowing the trumpet. We, we pray that Jesus would come to the rescue. Now what is it that we are set to guard? I think this is kind of important. Uh, the, the Lord who puts us in our vocations has set us to be guards. So first, our families. The Lord has put us all in a family and he wants to hear us praying for our family. And he's put us in this church so that you could pray for each other, for me, for the preaching of the word in this place. And he's put us in our neighborhood so that we could pray for our neighbors. In other words, what is your vocation? That's who you pray for. And especially, now this is a mystery that I'm trying to sort out, but if you have authority in your vocation, that this also is a spiritual authority that's exercised in prayer. So that husbands uh, c- cover their wives when they pray for them. That's, they have, they're, they're the head of the family, and so the, the authority covers the family. When pra- parents pray, that covers the author- that covers their children. This is also true of pastors, that when I pray for you, this is a, is a spiritual covering uh, over you. And, th- and prayer provides this sort of protection. And, and it goes the other direction as well. So that, for example, Hebrews tells us that we have a, or that Paul tells us that when we pray for our rulers and those who rule over us, we do so to have a good conscience. When we pray for our parents and our grandparents, or our rulers, or our pastors in Christ, we are not only strengthening them, but strengthening their own spiritual authority, and it provides a protection for us. Luther gave this, uh, particularly helpful picture, he said that the conscience is like a city that's protected by three walls. And the walls that go around the conscience are the church and the family and the state. And when those walls are stood up, then we're protected from the spiritual assaults of the devil. But when those walls collapsed, then we are vulnerable to his attacks in the heart and in the conscience. So with our prayers, we are building up the wall. We are protecting each other by this spiritual authority. And when we pray, we call in help. Remember the sentry that's standing there and and say you hear that now the enemies are coming to attack here. You were not supposed to go and attack them to uh, to pull out your weapons and go and fight, but rather you were supposed to you were supposed to call for help. Blow the trumpet. And the 
and the centurion who was within fighting distance would come with his hosts to the wall and fight. This is how it is for us. As we stand and we watch and we pray for our family, for our church, for our friends, for the state, we blow the trumpet and we call Jesus to come with his angels to fight for them and to fight for us. That is our work. That is our century duty. Now, there are two things that I want to maybe sidebar to explore, little excursies that I think are important to discuss. And the first is this. How does spiritual warfare and prayer relate to evangelism? St. Paul said specifically in the text, he asked the Ephesians to pray for him that a door would be opened for the gospel. So, this is also our own prayer. We pray not only for the protection of the kingdom of God, where God's holiness has been manifest, but we pray also for an expansion of the kingdom of God. And this prayer ought to be very specific. That we pray for the people who are not baptized. We pray for the people who have left the church. We pray for the people in our own lives, for our family, for our children or our grandchildren or our parents or grandparents or our friends or our neighbors who do, who do not know Christ. Now, I want to actually be very, very specific and practical on this, on this point. That I think not only should we be praying for the people in our family that do not know Christ, but I think that we should be praying every day for a person in our own neighborhood or our own friend who lives in this area that we can bring to church. And so I want to ask you to do something specific. I don't, can't remember when I did this last. I want you to grab an attendance card that's blank, and I want you to write two names on it. Right, right, so right now, grab an attendance card. I'm telling you guys to do this. You're used to just listening, not doing anything. I want you to grab an attendance card, and I want you to write two names on that card, and I want the names to be this. Number one, the person that you love the most who does not confess Christ. And number two, the person that you know here in town who also does not confess Christ. I want you to write their names down. And I want you to put that card in your Bible. And I want you to pray for them every day. That a way, what St. Paul says, that a way would be open for the gospel to come to them. That's part of your guard duty. That's part of your sentry duty. And by this prayer, which the Lord loves to hear, we pray with confidence looking for an answer. That the Lord, in fact, will continue to do this, to expand His kingdom. It's not your work. It's not your doing. It's, you don't have to say anything to them, do anything at all. Simply pray that the Lord would, uh, would bring His kindness to them. Everyone, you know, there's all these kind of secrets to evangelism that people are trying to figure out how the church grows and how people go from being not Christian to Christian. And there's no sense to it. I mean, the Lord does all sorts of different things to bring people into church. The only thing that is the same in every time a person comes to church is this, that a Christian was praying for them. That's how the Lord does it. That's what prayer teaches us. And it's part of our prayers that the Lord's kingdom, that the Lord's kingdom would come. So prayer and evangelism. The second excursus that I want to explore, you guys got that written down? Do I need to? Some of you, I'm suspicious, just grabbed it and acted like you were writing. It didn't actually write anything down. 
I'm not going to check when you leave church, but this is serious. This is serious stuff. The second thing that I want to explore is this. The elderly and spiritual warfare. Now, this is something we've been talking about for the last month or so. But I think we, I, I think this is especially important. There, there is a lie that the, that the world and, that tells us that when we get older, we become useless. This is demonic. Spiritually, as we get older, we become particularly useful. The Lord is getting us ready for battle. We are the spiritual elite. Uh, Paul says this to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy 5. He says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. Now look at, just practically, look at what Jesus has given to those who are older. Maybe even who are sick and weak and infirm, who are homebound. First, he has given a full life of joy and of sorrow, and he has taught to you the word, and he's given you wisdom, and he set your priorities straight and given you perspective. You who are old and wise, look at those who are young and say, boy, they, they have their priorities all out of whack. They're concerned about things that they shouldn't be concerned about, and they neglect the things that they shouldn't neglect. Well, that's wisdom that the Lord has given you. And, also, second, many times the Lord has given to you, the elderly, a family that is people who are under your spiritual authority and protection. Third, the Lord has given you trouble, pain, affliction, in body, in mind, and in spirit, which is how the Holy Spirit makes us theologians, and particularly how the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. And fourth, the Lord has given to the elderly time. <laughs> lots of it, somehow. I don't know how you have so much time. But when you get older, you have lots of time. Can I come and visit? Yeah. When can I come and visit? Anytime. Are you doing anything? No. Now, can you imagine those four things? Wisdom, those under your spiritual authority, trouble, and time. That's, the, that's perfect training for spiritual warfare. The kind of warfare that changes the world and builds the church and expands the kingdom of God by your work of prayer. Now, the devil tempts those who are old to watch Wheel of Fortune and wait to die. <laughs> to th <laughs> I mean, this is a, to think that you're useless. No. I mean, this is a rally cry that we need to hear, especially for the elderly, that it's time to fight to take up the sword of the Spirit and to wield it in prayer. If I needed to go and fight a physical battle, you know, go and I was supposed to do siege some sort of city, then I would look for all the young men to fight. But if it's time to fight a spiritual battle, we have to find all of the old ladies. <laughs> and the old men too. 
Those are the ones who are... Now, it sounds funny. I mean, it does sound funny, but it is, it is true. And this vocation, this vocation of spiritual warfare, this vocation specifically of prayer against the devil and against the demons for your family and for your church and for your neighbors, this is what matters most in the world. It is what makes the difference. It's what stands in the breach between life and death. It is what is on the border of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It's what protects us and what belongs to Jesus. Now, I'm really deadly serious about this, that as the Lord drags us through this life and He makes us weaker in body, He is doing that specifically to strengthen our faith, but also to strengthen our prayers. I remember, you know, one of the things that that pastors will often talk about, or even sometimes people, and this will happen with people too, they'll go to a church and they'll visit the church and they'll say, oh, the church has a lot of, a lot of old people in it. And what we should say about that is, well, quit bragging. <laughs> because your prayers are heard by the Father in heaven. And that is what moves the world. That is what builds the wall that keeps us back from, that keeps the demons back from our heart. That is what grows the church. And that's what keeps us until Jesus comes. Okay. Last. Conclusion. We know how this spiritual battle ends. (laughs) We know the end of the story. We're studying it in Revelation. We know that Jesus, by His death and by His resurrection, has has cast the devil down into the bottomless pit, has destroyed His authority so that the evil one has no authority over you. In fact, you have a spiritual authority that is valid even in the heavenly places to throw to overthrow strongholds and to protect the kingdom of God and that this stands until the end when Jesus comes. And He will rule and reign in His glory in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. The devil and the demons and all those who are not part of the kingdom of God will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where smoke will go up forever. But for you who know God, who are armored with His light, who are protected with His Word, and who have the joy and the confidence of the promises of Jesus, you will stand forever before Him. Face to face. As a soldier, true and strong, after the battle has been won. So we fight. And even though the battle seems long for us, even though it seems like it will never end because it will go on until Jesus returns, steals on the ear, remember the song, steals on the ear the distant triumph song. We know that the victory belongs to Jesus. And we know that Jesus is with us and that He fights for us. And that He is our champion. And He is our hero. And He will at last bring us to the kingdom of light and joy and peace, which He won for us by His death and resurrection. We fight with this hope. Amen.
The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.